Welcome to a special episode of York Hospital Ball. We're sort of in between series, I guess, at the minute. And I got approached by James Richardson probably a year and a half ago about coming on and telling us some stories about his time at the club, sort of working behind the scenes. And we were kind of set to do that this time a year ago. I think people who, who kind of know me quite well know, know the personal difficulties I've had around that time. So we kind of put a put a pin in it and um, it felt like now was a good time to sort of revisit those sort of episodes so this is the first of what I hope will be a few sort of special one-offs really. It was really nice for James to approach me in the first place you know normally it's the other way around I'm chasing people waiting to hear back and, and it can be quite a, a long process to put um, episodes together so it's really refreshing to have it the other way around where someone is was keen to kind of come on and, and, and share some stories so really appreciate him doing that and of course giving up his time and, J and James works at York City in such a up and down time really probably as high as you can get with a Man United and Everton victories to the as low as you can get with a John Batchelor era so I'm hoping York City fans who went to watch them around that time will, will find this uh, a really fascinating listen and, and also it's worth mentioning that James ran a marathon earlier on in the day before uh, we, we recorded this so I think he did well just to, to, to be awake at that time let alone speaking to me about his time at York City so yeah hope you enjoy this uh, and here is the first of our sort of special episodes with James Richardson. Right, so really looking forward to speaking to you, James, and hearing about sort of behind the scenes at York City, a lot of stories that I'm sure people won't, won't know about. But first and foremost, you're a massive supporter, and I think, you know you recently went past 1,500 games, over 500 away games, and just tell us about your support and where it started, and also your, your kind of your way of keeping the records that you, that you do, because I, I believe it's sort of the same as when you first started, that, that you've kept up going all these years. Yeah, thanks, Dan. The support came from basically going to secondary school. Going, to, I went to Nunthorpe. So when I when I went to Nunthorpe when I was eleven, my sister's a little bit older than me. She she'd started going to watch matches with some of her friends at Millmount, and then at the same time, I went to a new school, and some of the chaps there were City fans, and so it kind of coincided so that's when I started going at early 84 85 so I just missed the watching the championship team and the keeping the record I don't know I've always been a bit like that kind of writing things down and it was after about two seasons I think I thought oh I'm gonna look back at what games I've been to I used to just pick up a program we used to when programs were free so I used to pick up a program so I knew which games I'd been to uh, I could remember most of them anyway and started it and then just carried on that's kind of, I suppose I'm a bit of a collector type person and just carried on. I have also got an Excel spreadsheet and I've also just joined, um, is it Footballogy, um, on Jim Calverley's recommendation, but I've got, it's going to take me a long time to load those on. So yeah, I write it all down and it's very much a, it's a handwritten book, basically. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've seen you, you've put pictures of that on, on social media and I, as a teacher, I'm always well impressed with your handwriting. Now, kids, <laughs> kids that I teach, that, that, particularly boys, that, that handwriting's terrible. Yours yours is like almost like a work of art. Better when I was younger. It's <laughs> terrible now. If you go to university and have to scribble notes in lectures, the handwriting goes to pot completely and that's what happened. And your first game, I believe, was John Burns' last in 1984, yeah. wasn't it? So, I mean, what a time to sort of follow the, the team as well. Cup runs, Keith Walwyn playing as well, Dennis Smith era. I, I guess you're a bit like me. It, it kind of doesn't really prepare you for what, what happens next. Does it? I was kind of hoodwinked, I think, in 1992, thinking, oh, it'll always be like this, York City, it'll always be successful. And and you kind of get, I always think, what what had happened if I went to a nil-nil draw or, or mm. it was a lot colder on the day that I went? You know, are you kind of of that mindset as well? I remember I've obviously listened to your podcast and when you said about first going in 92, wasn't it? I'm absolutely certain that that was how I was brought into the being a fan. I've looked back on it. Um, the position they went to, top of Division 3 as it was then, I've never seen them higher. <laughs> so the very first game, they went top of Division 3 that I went to see and, and they've never got past that in the subsequent nearly 40 years. That, that tells you something, doesn't it? The season was brilliant. I mean, I, I, I can't remember the first time I saw them lose. It was very rare to see a, a home defeat around that time. And I didn't go to away matches because I was too young and parents weren't massively interested. So it was kind of that possibility wasn't really there for a few years. So yeah, I just used to win, just, just win every week. That's what happened. Walwyn, Byrne, Ford, whoever scored, and that was it. 
<laughs> I think that's definitely the definition of peak too soon, isn't it? If you've not seen them higher than the, the first sort of games that you, that you enter. You started working for York City, I think, in 1994, helping out Sheila Smith on, on what, you, what you put in your emails, a very low wage, I think, at the time, when you first <laughs> mentioned it to me. What what was your first job title and, and how, how did that sort of em- employment evolve over the years? Yeah, I used to sell programs. That's how I got to know Sheila Smith, who's sadly no longer with us. So I used to do that as a, a, a voluntary role, although we, I think we used to get a match ticket and that kind of thing. So I did that as a, for a few years. Nick Sanderson, a good friend of mine who a few, quite a few fans will know, was already doing it. So he got me roped in and I got to know Sheila that way. And then I'd finished at university and I remember, yeah, I got a phone call from her just saying, have you decided what you're doing yet as a career? <laughs> and I actually hadn't. So um, do you want to come and work at the club? And it was an assistant to her. So commercial assistant, I guess, if you're looking for a, a title. And the wage, yeah, was awful. But I remember, and I funny, I've just told somebody this story today and I just remember sitting in the pub with my friends and saying, you know, I've had this job offer from York City. How good's that? But then this was the downside and everybody just said, forget the money. You've just got to go and do it. So um, I actually remember I negotiated that I only did four days for that money rather than five and I actually went and worked somewhere else for a day and got nearly as much for the one day as I was getting for the other four. That, that's how it started. And I do remember my first ever meeting with Douglas Craig or first ever sort of conversation with him. Before I joined, I was talking to Sheila about the job and he walked into the office and he basically said, oh, it's you. What are you messing about at deciding whether to come or not? I thought in, in subsequent years, that was kind of a very telling first meeting, I think, in terms of his robustness. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and It's interesting. I went on the stadium tour, the new stadium this week, and, and Steve Dory was doing the, the tour around. He, he was sort of saying about how, how the, the stadium is the sort of hub of the community now because it's it's kind of multi-purpose, isn't it? You've got the rugby club there. You've got yes. the swimming baths. You've got the little gym. You've got the climbing wall and all that sort of stuff that's going on. So so people are coming in and out of the football club all day long. But Boone Crescent, when it was a non-match day, I imagine could be quite a gloomy sort of place. I mean, what, what was that like? Because it's it, it's sort of out of town, wasn't it? And 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 kind of on a match day, you wouldn't have had non-match day. You wouldn't have many people sort of coming and going. What 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 was it like those sort of days? No, you didn't have many. Um, and and again, we all had lots of roles. So you know, you did actually say in your you know previous comment, you know, how did the job? evolve so commercial assistant so that was you know it was a multitude of sins wasn't it covered everything you know i was basically shadowing sheila helping her do everything that she did from she sold all the hospitality she sorted out all the ground board she sorted out kit she sorted out the shop so you know we were doing all sorts so even on the days when there weren't uh, matches and actually sometimes it'd be still reasonably busy with visitors you know you just get people coming in the club shop or wanting to look around the ground or There'd always be something, and it wasn't. You were never quiet. But even if it was quiet in terms of visitors, there were jobs to be done. You know, there was programs to write. There was shop stock to sort out. There were there were so many different. We only had about five full time, maybe four or five full time staff that weren't playing or managing staff. So it was it was a lot to do. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned programs there. <laughs> that was the next bit I wanted to come on to. Because back then, it, it, it was kind of... And I've had this debate with Paul Bowser uh, last year about how, how kind of relevant the program still is. I mean, mm. obviously, he's an avid collector, and, and I don't know whether, whether you are as well. But I, I think was. over time, it, it's kind of... Yeah, my, my loft is full of programs, but mm. but not many of the last sort of five or ten years. I think it, it just isn't that main source of communication anymore, but it was back then. Yes. So... And I, you were kind of obviously very prevalent in writing the program and things that went in it, and, and I believe you sort of made up some players yeah. for the away team. Is that right? Silly stories. I mean, they they are one offs. You know, I didn't do that on a regular basis, but I did. I can't remember why really. I guess I was young and daft. I was probably about twenty two, twenty three at the time, and you, maybe a bit of power went to my head. You know, I was writing the match day program, and um, we were playing Burnley. I can't remember which of the seasons it was, and a, and a pal of mine had played well he was from Burnley big Burnley fan and he'd actually played for Burnley Cricket Club um, and a little side story that he always tells a story that he taught Jimmy Anderson how to bowl um, he played in the Burnley second team with him I don't know how much of that is a little bit of um, you know whether he sort of expands a little bit on the on the truth but um, but yeah Dave Shorrett was his name so I just thought it'd be funny to get, write him a pen pick and put him in the program so I wrote because this squad list then it wasn't just a team of course you had a whole squad list so I just put him in a squad list and wrote him a little pen pick. And for because he was quite well known in Burnley, because Burnley Cricket Club's you know decent 
club in the area, he was getting people for quite a few weeks afterwards asking him if he'd ever been on the books at Burnley because he'd seen his <laughs> in the name. And then I did it again for somebody else, uh, Cardiff. We were playing Cardiff. And the, the, the quite funny story about that was I told George Rowe that used to do the Tannoy, so don't, don't read that name out when you read the team list because I've, I've made it up. <laughs> so I said, don't read. But he, so he came in, I think it was just before the kickoff, and said he'd seen Bobby Gould and I think it was um, Alan Cork was his assistant at the time, Cardiff manager and assistant, literally holding the programme by the dugout while they were watching the players warm up, pointing at the back of the... And he, George said, I don't know whether he was just winding me up, but he, I got the impression he wasn't. I think he thought they were going, well, who's, who's that player that they've put in our squad? So, yeah, I used to, I used to take a lot of pride in the programme, though. I mean, I say those were sort of little silly little moments, really, but because I was a fan and close to fans and, and, you know, I felt like I could get that nice balance between what people wanted and what they wanted to know, but also made sure that we had the the club side of the story. You know, that had to be the main thread, even though you were, you know, if it wasn't, if the fans didn't enjoy it, there was, there was no point in having it. You know, that's, you needed them to buy it. And we, we did well with it. You know, it was, it was, it, I think at that time, with the help of people like Paul Bowser, Dave Batters, and we got all sorts of other guests sort of writers as well. Yeah, I think we did okay with it. People used to get some good feedback anyway. And, and what what sort of figures of programmes were you selling and how difficult was it to sort of, I imagine it would have been quite stressful to get the right amount printed correctly. You know, if, you, if you're printing way too many and they don't sell, yeah. then you've wasted a lot of money kind of investing yeah. in it. And if you, if you don't have, if you sell out quite quick by half past two, then there's yeah. loads of, you know, I imagine from, from Doug, yeah. well, Douglas Craig, irate fans, but also maybe Douglas Craig thinking, well, that's we've lost out there on on income. He just used to trust us in that in the end, and, and I guess after with a bit of experience, it became reasonably easy. I I don't know why he used to have your ear to the ground, listening to the way people were talking, listening to uh, not in terms of numbers of programs, but numbers of fans. So we got to the point where we got really accurate in terms of knowing how many to print. If we thought right, the crowd is going to be three thousand six hundred. I would know that, I mean, I'm trying to remember the numbers now, we were probably, I think we'd probably print something like 15, 1,600 programmes. Uh, now, we weren't selling to one in two and a half because some would go to hospitality and that kind of thing. So we were probably selling to about one in three. So I got, you know, we got okay at it. We tended not to. Now, the massive one we got really, really, really badly wrong was Man United at home. Now, I knew more people would buy a programme that night, but I didn't know a bit of the level it was. And the sellers were coming in saying, people are coming up and buying 10, and they're buying 15. And we actually sold out about an hour before kickoff, and I got pelters. I got absolute pelters. But we printed 6,000 for a 9,000 crowd, and they were right. on with an hour before kickoff. There's no way of predicting that. I didn't no. I would have said on that. Was that because that that right. people wanted them as a collector's item sort yeah, of thing? I think so. I think yeah. so. But, you know, we printed a lot more than we normally would, even for that crowd, even on the ratio, but we still got it massively wrong. But hey-ho, I didn't I didn't lose a massive amount of sleep over that. <laughs> and, and I vaguely remember around the sort of sometime in the 90s that there was sort of a subliminal message in there about Craig out, wasn't there, from, from one of the con- yeah. contributors? Yeah, Will Thornton. And I liked Will. I played football with Will many years afterwards, and he's, he's a good lad. And he... I don't know. I never really got to the bottom of it, and I can't remember. I guess time time goes by, and it's what twenty five years ago. He wrote a column because it was in the infancy of the internet, so he 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 was that that was his thing, and he so he wrote a column for us about what kind of city fans were saying online, and I think it maybe stemmed from there was a bit of a fans group at the time, wasn't there? Greg Stone was involved. Um, was it Fact? Fact, yeah. Fans against fans Craig, against Craig Tyranny. Tyranny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think also Will had offered to help with the website and Craig had turned him down because, you know, he didn't get it. He thought it was just a play thing. He didn't, you know, I think I've mentioned that to you before, that, that Sophie and I were really, really keen that the club had a website and he was just saying, oh, it's just a fad. It's just a, you know, so and I think Will would have been involved. He was happy to help us because we didn't have the expertise. Mm. So I don't know whether some of it was because of that, but I don't, you know, it was nothing personal. I didn't fall out with Will over it, but we had to tell him he couldn't write in the programme anymore. <laughs> so yeah, it was the first letter of each of the sentences, <laughs> spelt it out. I didn't see it. Non, nobody saw it until they were told. You know, anybody that says otherwise is lying. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was lots of other sort of it sounds like from the time that you were working there that you, that, that you kind of could get involved with so much different part, aspects of York City Football Club which as a fan I imagine would have been 
you know, fantastic. I'm sure the money would have raised up from that low wager on to start with, not not to probably life changing there. No, sort of, it was, sort yeah, of money. No, it, but, became, it became normal. It became a normal yeah. way. Jack's actually within six weeks, to be honest, because when yeah. Sheila left, Maureen Leslie came in and she said, why do you only do four days a week? And I said, well, it's because of this reason. And she went, right, we'll get that sorted. So yeah. I, I said, well, if you do, if I come in five days, you're going to have to like double my wage, basically. And she she just sorted it out. I mean, don't get me wrong, it, it, it still wasn't earth-shattering, but it was at least I could yeah. have. The kits I was going to come on to, but, you know, yeah, you, I I you, you, were, <laughs> you were heavily involved with like uh, the green kit that, that we had as an away shirt and also the blue and black with the Inter Milan sort of inspired one yeah. that, that yeah. I, I see a lot of York City fans really desperate to get hold of now. Mm, yeah. Um, um, so what was the thinking behind those? Well, that was, you know, that that was my involvement with the shop. I used to run the shop. I used to pick a lot of the merchandise for the shop. But obviously, because I was also very much a fan of the team and had an interest in 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 the kits, it was something I'd always always quite fancied doing. And I liked, I don't know whether it was from probably from the team that they had in the late eighties. I, I loved the AC Milan um, top, but obviously that wasn't going to be particularly useful to us. We couldn't have it as a home kit, and we certainly couldn't have it as an away kit because it just clash. So. But actually, it's all Inter Milan would work. And I remember just mentioning it to Maureen and then Alan Little, because Alan Little was really keen. He was really interested in, he wanted the team to look right. He wouldn't have, you know, he didn't want them just wearing anything. And uh, so he used to get involved in the kit meetings as well. And uh, yeah, I was I was just dead proud and dead chuffed when we actually got that one through because I, you know, I suggested it and we looked at some different designs. Admiral would come with designs and you'd pick one. And um yeah, I still get a real buzz when I see, you know, Ben Robinson seems really keen on wearing his, you know, a lot of City fans will know Ben and yeah, it's 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 still funny when people talk about. It. I mean, I've got my original one. I'm not selling it. <laughs> <laughs> that was you could get involved in in so much because like I said before, there weren't that many staff and if you were interested like I was, it was a a labor of love. I'd spend hours down there when I shouldn't have been there because I enjoyed it as well as as, as, as the work so it wasn't, it wasn't a problem yeah and i think you're involved in sort of playing some of the songs over the tannoy and stuff like that as well and that i used <laughs> yeah. to always think like um when we used to run out to ready to go by republica and then i'd be like yeah. and we'd be two down in 10 minutes i think well really we weren't ready to go yeah i mean it was <laughs> it wasn't my fault <laughs> yeah yeah no i remember i think it was it was that and then did it did we have it rolling into a classical piece i think i can't remember I used to oh, yeah, possibly have way around. I used to come up with these different ideas. I can't remember, but yeah, we did that. And then yeah, we did a deal with HMV where we could go and get different um, CDs, and as it would have been back then. So yeah, uh, I used to enjoy. Yeah, my, my music was kind of late nineties or mid late nineties indie music. So we used to play some tunes that probably wouldn't otherwise have got much of an airing over a football. Um, mm. I do remember playing um, Half Man Half Biscuit after a conversation with like Kev Atkinson, Phil Nielsen, and those guys, and I said, "Right, we'll get it on tomorrow at halftime," because I think I'd seen them. I think we'd seen them on a Friday night in Fibbers or something. Um, so I used to like that kind of thing. It, it shouldn't upset anybody, but actually, a few people will get quite a lot out of it. So you know, why not? And then I used to do the. I used to for reserve games. I decided like it'd be quite nice if we had the tannoy on. So I used to go and do the tannoy for the reserve games and play the tunes. And then when it got a bit bigger, when Leeds United used to play their reserve games. There was like five, six thousand crowds for some of those games, and I was doing the doing the tannoy for those. And um, I remember the reserve team were um, were really good, weren't they? In in the sort of ninety two, ninety three, ninety three, ninety four season, the city's reserve. Yeah, team. yeah, was, yeah. yeah York City's was, was sort of in the yeah, equivalent of the Premier the League team. one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was a little bit before I joined the club, but I was watching some of the time. Yeah, I remember. I went to Anfield. I remember going to Anfield to watch them play at, at Liverpool. Went to Old Trafford. Went to, I can't remember all of them, but went to a few grounds. Yeah, I remember Graham Murty scoring at Anfield. Yeah, great. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the both both you know the reserves and the first team got promoted in '93. So, yeah. yeah, it was a good time. Incredible. And 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 sort of going back to your role, then you were sort of involved with some transfer targets as well with Alan Little. I remember you sort of saying in your notes that you had quite a few conversations. Again, that must have been as a support. It must have been such a buzz to sort of be there with yeah. with Alan Little. I think he was humouring of... me, to be honest. I mm. think I'm sure he was humouring this 24 year old upstart. You know, who's was just a fan. But no, he, Alan was lovely. I mean, I remember. You know, I've got a real fond memory. One sort of close season. Look, you know, we sat down with the squad and. You know, I don't mean the players. We sat down with a list of the squad, and uh, I was sort of saying, "Oh, you know, could you play Paul Stevenson in the old behind the two strikers? Well, I, that might work." You know, what? What do you? And he was like, "Oh, no, no, no! He's got to be out wide, whipping them balls in. He's got to be doing it." He would, he would, you know. I suppose he got to know the fact that 
he trusted me in, in the sense that I would write his programme notes with him. Paul Stancliffe the same with the reserves and, and then there was the youth team. It would be Derek or A.D. Shaw later or whatever. So they kind of trusted, not, not that I knew anywhere as much uh, about football as they did or the ins and outs of it, but they understood that at least I, I kind of got it and I knew enough about the club. So, yeah, they would. I'm sure they were just humouring me, but it was, you're absolutely right, as a fan to spend, even if it's 20 minutes, just actually chatting about players and possible targets and it was always a tricky line because I was always interested obviously in who the targets were but I didn't want to I almost didn't want to ask because it looks you know I think well why is he asking and but if they wanted to tell you that they've been looking at so-and-so or whatever I I always remember seeing um, Terry Dolan's first day um, I went to talk to him in his office and I spotted on a post-it note on his desk the word Fetis and of course I knew who Alan Fettis was, as a lot of City fans would have done through games against Hull or whatever. And I remember thinking, oh, that'll be interesting. And of course, lo and behold, I don't know how many weeks later it was. I don't think it was many. He was he was in. And so it's just funny that you see these little things. I didn't, you know, I didn't share the information. I, you, I had not to because it was you've broken that trust then and then you're not going to be part of the you're not going to be part of the conversation anymore. And did you have a good relationship with all the managers then that that were there? During your time working? It was Alan when I started. Alan was great. Obviously, it took a bit of time because I was just a new boy. But after a while, then, like I say, you know, you get to know people and he was fine. Yeah, Neil Thompson um, obviously wasn't there for as long. So that, that you know, but he was he was fine. But he was under pressure. And, and it was always difficult when managers were under pressure because they would take it out on anybody, I suppose. You know, it's like when you, if they, they were, you know, if you get a bad media interview and, and you can see people get a bit spiky. And I guess... They maybe saw me sometimes as that. Terry Dolan, 95% of the time, we got on like a house on fire. But, you know, I upset him a couple of times. A little bit like I said before about the programme. You, I was, I used to argue I was writing the programme for the fans. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Pravda. It wasn't supposed to be like this kind of putting, putting out just the club's view. But actually a couple of people within the club did used to think that. And I used to, we used to clash over it. And they said, well, you can't put that in the programme. It's well, it's reality. You, can, you know, you, you can't gloss over something that's actually happened, even if that's negative. Because oh, I didn't think you could. But the one that Terry wasn't happy with was there was a, a guy who used to write um, some player interviews. He used to come in. He was an ex-Racing Post journalist that lived near the ground. And he offered to come and interview players. And he interviewed Wayne Hall. And it was during Wayne's, I don't know if it was his last season. And this chap had written this interview and just put something in it like, so come on, Terry. Let's give Wayne another year's contract. He wasn't. I don't think he actually was saying, you have got to do this. It was just a throwaway remark. But because Terry was probably under pressure around that time, he was not happy. And, um, yeah, we sort of fell out out about it for probably only for 24 hours. But I used to hate that because I'm very anti any sort of conflict, you know. And it felt a bit embarrassing. He's like the manager of the club and I'm just the programme editor and all various other things I used to do. And so I kind of hated that sort of thing, but it was it was forgotten. It was fine after a while. But yeah, things like that did happen. And I think at a football club, I think they sometimes get blown out of proportion. I was going to say, was it ever hard sort of separating supporter from employee, you know, at, at times? And, and it sounds like from that incident with yeah. Terry Dole and it's probably the times when it, when it was like that. Yeah, I don't think I found it hard, if I'm honest, but I think other people suspected that I was leaning too much towards the fun I guess it's it's an opinion, isn't it, like anything? Mm. So I, I always felt, which I guess I would do, because that's how I was behaving. I, I chose to behave in that way that I thought I got it okay, I got it right. But other people thought that I was leaning too much towards the being a fan. But my argument was, well, if the fans aren't happy with what we're doing, then what's the point? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, they're the paying. They're they are a customer. I do genuinely think that some people would have found it easier to run the club without fans. <laughs> you know, that the, without naming names, I think I think there were people there that are oh, the fans are just a, you know, they're just getting the way. It, this would be far easier. This place to sort out if we didn't have any fans. <laughs> Did you ever find it go, go the other way? Did I, any of your friends ever sort of think you were too much of a club man, or, or you were too defended the club? No. No, I don't think so. Because I think um, no, I think if you did, you say actually say that. I say friends, no, because they knew me. But maybe, maybe fans did. Some fans did. I remember a guy getting upset because I think we changed the kit 
again when we weren't expected to you know like you sort of we used to have the kits on a two-year cycle but mm. something had happened and we had to change it and he got really upset and i just said look i'm really sorry but you know it's because of external reasons and so you know so i suppose some other fans might have done who didn't know me as well as my sort of good mates did but I guess that comes with the territory. That was always going to be the case. And what were board meetings like then? Because obviously you were, you were in quite a lot of the board meetings, weren't you, I think, with Douglas Eventually, Craig? Eventually, once I got, once I got yeah. to commercial manager, yeah. yeah. So that was from, I mean, I joined in 95. That was from 2000 onwards. I used to go to board meetings. You would only go to a certain section of them. So I wouldn't ah, be, right. yeah, I wouldn't be privy to manager conversations and that kind of thing. So the manager would be in from the start. I would go in at the start and they'd, they'd get my business out of the way and then I'd be, whoosh, I'd be out of there and then they would talk the serious stuff. Um, yeah. But there were times, you know, I'd, I think I mentioned to you, I remember, um, I do remember the one when they were discussing the formation of BCH around, you know, splitting the ground. I was in that meeting for a while and it had been discussed and I, I would stand by and people will maybe laugh, but I, I genuinely believe that when it was done, I, I think it was 97, no, it must have been a bit later. But yeah, I don't know why I was in that meeting actually, but I do remember it. I think maybe maybe somebody was off. But yeah, that when when those directors formed it, or Craig, because he used to basically run the show, that he did it for for the reason that he said, which was if the club went bust, they could reform and they would have somewhere to play because it's a separate entity. Of course, he, he turned it round and it was ended up being the ground that went first. But I, I that was what two years later. Three years later, I, I think when he formed it and when he made that decision, it was because of a change in the football league rules. And I think he did it for the right reason. Yeah, very, very quickly turned, of course. And with, with those board meetings, when you're asked to sort of go out, we we ever sort of tempted just to sort of lean against the door <laughs> if it was things not going up. You saw if you saw the agenda, sort of thinking, oh, that's yeah. quite interesting. Point five when I'm not going to yeah. be there. Yeah, Alan Little's future or something. Yeah, like no, no. <laughs> I mean, that's not that I recall anyway. Not that I would admit to now. Anyway, have you seen the size of those doors on the boardroom? You know, the old oak. <laughs> yeah, no, it was interesting. Of course, it was being part of that process. Craig and John Quickfall ran the club, really. And obviously Keith Usher was there day to day. Craig and Quickfall were very hands-on and were in the in, in the club a lot, most days. Whereas Webb and Swallow, you didn't really see very often. Um, so I, I always had more respect for, at the time, for Craig and Quickfall, absolutely. And, and I'm sure that the job must have been... At time, we'll come on to the, the sort of decline later on, but but the job must have been great at times, you know, beating Man United and Everton. There was a real good feel-good factor around the club around that time, wasn't it? So to work there behind the scenes must, must have yeah. been incredible at times. I thought all my Christmases had come at once. I mean, I think I'd been there six months when the Man United game happened. I was supposed to be off the day after the match and I went into work because <laughs> why wouldn't you? You know, it was yeah. unbelievable. It was kind of, you know, the media attention was unbelievable. And there was stuff to sort out. I remember actually ringing our counterparts at Old Trafford to say, right, we need some match videos. And they actually said, no, we don't do match videos. I went, what? And and it was because they used to put them together as a highlights package. I didn't sell them, I don't know, three times a season or something. So they didn't. And I said, look, we, we you know, all right, we'll be on their level, but we, we could, we really would like to sell these. Anyway, in fairness to them, they did it. They used to, they, they supplied them for us. And I got a nice relationship with a couple of people over there for a while. They used to help us out. But that, I did that the following day when I should have been off. It was a bit embarrassing having to ring them. It's like, oh, by the way, it's, uh, I'm from York City. You might not want to hear from us this morning. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was unbelievable. Everton was, I think, I think that's up there as one of the best home games I've ever seen. But it was spoiled for me because, and this was the the balance between being a fan and being a staff member. We had some money stolen that night, which I'll never forget. Some Everton fans uh, stole some program money, some of the program money where it used to get stored. They obviously spotted what was how we used to work and how, where it was getting put, and they stole it. My name was actually read out of the tunnel with, with James Richardson. Please go to the police box. So I remember the ooh, and I actually missed the second goal because of that. Right. So you know, a real yin and yang that night. But yeah, tremendous, absolutely amazing times. And even just the fact that we were playing Preston and Burnley and Fulham, you know, they were just, yeah, we didn't know it at the time, of course, that that, 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 that there would be such a, a highlight and, and not to be repeated for a long time. But um, yes, uh, there, were, there were a lot of moments where you pinched yourself. I mean, I, arranged, I used to arrange all the travel as well, the travel club, not the team, but I used to arrange the fans' travel. So doing... I remember, I think we took 18 coaches to QPR. 
and I've been, and I was thinking, and I look back and I go, I was twenty two. <laughs> what was I doing? You know, I was responsible for eighteen coach loads of people going to QPR. So yeah, all those kind of moments were were just. Yeah, pretty bonkers when you look back. And the coaches to Brighton as well. I imagine that game that yeah. was uh, half past four. I sort think of we left. rearranged. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it was a twelve o'clock kickoff, wasn't it? it was, yeah, eleven. Eleven. So eleven yeah. was it? It was eleven. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty sure we left at four half four and took four coach loads down. The first game was I was actually late to the first game, so I saw ten minutes, I think, or five minutes or something. So we we got there late, which is really unusual for us. And uh, and then we got in the ground and everybody said, oh, by the way, this game is not going to last very long. Oh, why not? Well, we've been talking to the Brighton fans in the pub and they said this and this. And it was like, oh, my God, I don't believe it. So literally, I think the first corner was the trigger and they were all on the pitch and broke the goalpost. So there you go. But, that was yeah. only a short trip back in. Uh, no, no, we'd stayed in London, but yeah, which is why we were late. But anyway, that's a long story. So obviously lo- lo- lots of highs, but coming on to the lows, I mean, you, you, I think Douglas Craig signed, sold the club for a pound in your office, didn't he? He did. He did. I used to share an office with the accountants, the club accountants, which so I guess it was because of that really rather because of me. But I was in the office at the time when Bachelor and he uh, did the deed. Yeah. And Bachelor had been hanging around for a while and you never knew. It was strange because there were a few suitors around that time. I guess people had spotted that they could buy the club and not the ground. The staff didn't really realise that at the time. I think mm. we were a little bit naive. And these people were hanging around and you... You know, I'm a respectful kind of person. So if somebody's going to be the new owner and you don't know anything about them, then you're going to treat them with that respect. I kind of wish I hadn't now when I look back. So he, he, he came in and, and, and I, just, I just remember them doing it on the desk next to next to mine. And, you know, what a nine months or whatever that, that turned out to be. You know. Well, that's it. I've just, I've just got started writing some questions about John Batchelor and then I just crossed them all out and just put... Just put discuss to, yeah, to James because yeah, because really, where do you start? Where do you end with it? I mean, it, it was such a chaotic time as a supporter, and and you mentioned naive. I I remember a lot of people seeing him as a savior because Douglas Craig, a little bit like Jason McGill at times, that people were were kind of wanting rid of him, and then whoever came in, a bit like with Glenn Henderson, now it was almost like that's a knight in shining armor, you know, and and you you don't want to hear anything negative. No. at the start and and I think that was that was I think very much what it was like for supporters what was it like for you as an you know someone working for the club and being a supporter yeah, seeing it all agree. unfolding yeah I would agree with 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 that um that you I think partly as a staff member as I say you have to be respectful as well so even even if I'd thought on day 1 my goodness, who is this? You know, if I had real suspicions which I didn't I'm not going to pretend I did not not straight away I don't think it took long, though, if I'm honest, that, you know, it was, he just wanted to change everything. Um, he wanted to change the look of the programme. He wanted to change, obviously, you know, all the stuff that people will know with the name and joining the two words together and the shirts and the, oh, my goodness, racing team and all these ideas about the ground being at Clifton Moor and it's going to have a garage in it for a racing team. It was just, it was just <laughs> madness. And he was, his his method of trying to win over the staff was basically to say to us that we were, you know, stuck in our old ways. So he kind of used the sort of, no, you've got to see the light. You've got to see what it could be like. It could be different. And I guess it's funny how you mentioned Glenn because I sensed a little bit of that with him, you know, the interviews that he's given about, you know, well, why does it have to be about money when he's talking about the squad? And obviously I think what he was getting at was, you know, we can develop our own and, just because you haven't got a budget doesn't mean you can. And, and he, you know, he's trying to look at things, reinventing the wheel though, isn't it? You know, it's done in that way for a reason, generally. And and Bachelor was was the same. I mean, it was crazy at times. It was just, you know, I think I mentioned to you the one where he was having a board meeting, not a board meeting because they weren't on the board then, sorry, a meeting with the BCH directors. So he was the director of the football club. They were the beat, so they were in effect were his landlords which was craig and people and he was trying to buy the ground off them didn't have any money to buy it off them so i don't know how he would have done it but he wanted to get the ground they were point blank refusing and he called a press conference so i was kind of doing that then i'd left the commercial manager job and because of this itv digital ntl money there was there was more money in the website than there was in the commercial department so craig said to me would you like a go at doing the website he said i can actually afford to pay you more and it's another opportunity so I thought well, yeah we'll give that a go mm. 
So I was doing that by then, and we combined it with doing media duties and that kind of thing, which onto another thing is how I met Sharon, which is quite funny. But anyway, that's so the um, that afternoon he said, Bachelor told me to call a press conference, and we got big hitters down. We got you know local telly. Tanya and there was a guy called Fraser Maud from Calendar and and they were all just there waiting and Bachelor didn't have anything to say and he believed that by calling a press conference he could then go back into the board meeting and say well you've got to sell me it because I've called a press conference I don't think you know these directors very well if you think that's going to work so he then had to come up with a, a reason for calling the press conference otherwise he'd have had egg on his face so he then that's when, if people will may with long memories and been fans for a while, you're going back 20 years now, he threatened to sue ITV Digital for the loss of earnings and problems with contracts and everything that we then had with players. And But he just made that up on the spot because he didn't have anything to come to the press conference with and yet he'd call this big meeting, which was for him was to announce the purchase of Booth and Crescent, which, of course, he never did. So he was... You know, I mean, that was nuts. I was so embarrassed. I, was, I remember standing up in the VP lounge with all these local media luminaries trying to sort of pass them cups of tea and pretend that everything was normal. <laughs> it really wasn't. Did, did you start to then sort of think about your own, own sort of future then, really? Because... Like you mentioned at the start, it, it's great and it working for the for the football team that you love. But but I imagine when things are just so chaotic on and off the pitch, it must make you think. Yeah, it must be quite stressful, I would imagine. And and, and there must come must have come a point. Well, obviously, it did come a point because you, you left eventually. But there must have come a point where you thought it's just not worth the stress and the yeah. and the hassle. It, you've hit the nail on the head, and 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 actually that tells, goes back to a, I'd forgotten about this, but um, probably about a year before. Douglas Craig had got me into his office or borrowed an office at the ground and basically advised that I left. But he wasn't he, he wasn't saying, I don't like you anymore, I want rid of you. He was basically saying, things are going to change here and I advise that you maybe don't stay. I didn't really know what he meant. I was, again, you talk about naivety. And, and I loved the club and I loved the job, so I just thought, ah, oh, no, I'll stay anyway. But actually, he was warning me probably about what he was about to do and that it might be better if I wasn't around, which was actually, in hindsight, quite kind of him and quite, you know, he was looking after the people closest, I suppose. Because then, yeah, within a year, he'd done that. Batcher had come in. Yes, I did start questioning it. It was... And, and the, th- the thing that finally made my mind up was we told we weren't getting paid the f- our full money, which, again, you know, it's not huge amounts of money, but by then I had... I'd bought my own house. I'd moved out of my parents. I bought my own house. I, was, I had a mortgage. And I was thinking, hmm, this could be a problem. So I think we got money. I think for one one match, I think we got some money from the gate receipts to make up our wages. So now when that starts happening, you start thinking, hang on, this is a problem. Steve Beck and Keith Usher were absolutely tremendous around that time. And again, talk about you know people that you kind of got on with most of the time. Keith was one of those that you know, 80% of the time, 90% of the time, we got on like house on fire, but we were different generations. And I think I thought about customer service and fans in a different way to, to how he did. But that around that time, when Bachelor went missing, when the club was financial trouble, he didn't come and front up with staff and players. He just disappeared. It was Keith, Steve Beck, and forgive me if I've forgotten anybody else, but they came and, and spoke to people and said, you know, we're in trouble here. There isn't enough money to pay you. And I remember Keith being in tears. And it was like, wow, this is... So at that point, yes, I I thought, okay, it's time. And, and the other reason as well is that actually you can... It, it spoiled my sort of relationship with the club as well in that I was... I wasn't enjoying matches in the same way that you would do purely as a fan. You knew too much. You knew Mm. that there was financial trouble or you knew why Joe Bloggs wasn't playing centre-half today and it wasn't because he was injured. It was some other reason and you couldn't tell anybody, but actually. So it just got Mm. too... You were too close to it. And, and was, I, was I that Joe Bloggs you've, you've made up for a player name or? It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, th- th- there was always things like that. Th- you just couldn't say, you know, that, that certain things happened. People had family reasons. People had whatever. Could have been any any number of reasons why somebody, but you, you, you know, you just had to pretend they were injured or something. So you knew too much and it definitely begun to, it, it, it spoiled my relationship with supporting the team. And actually that was something that, 
took a long time to get back actually when I went back on the terraces even later that season I was back on the Longhurst and uh, yeah I didn't feel the same as I had done before it was, it was... yeah because it's interesting because I was going to ask you like whether you did that straight away and obviously you, you pretty much did because I, I look at someone like Phil Howden who again someone I'm, I'm hoping to interview at some point but but he he kind of lost that relationship with the club didn't he and and I'd be interested to find out kind of yeah how, how that sort of happened, that. but yeah, yeah I can imagine I that you, I you, know, you can, you I know can Phil probably. Well, but I don't know the ins and outs of, of. I think you know. I think he felt very. I guess his was different. His was. I. I, I get the impression his was more personal, whereas mine yeah. wasn't personal to me. It was the club just was falling apart, so I just jumped away. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. But it was no. I went. I went straight back on the terrace because my mates that I'd always watched games with were still watching games, and it was easy for me to just sort of slot back in. Um, and that's yeah. it. And away games, I often did that anyway. I used to sometimes be in a media area or I'd travel down on the team bus. But equally, sometimes I just used to go with my pals, depending depending on the situation and what was what was going on at the time. Was there any players that you ever got sort of close to them when you were working there? Was it no, not not matey matey. But in hindsight, there's been a few reunions and things. There was a '90s sort of players reunion a couple of years ago that Jeanette McMillan arranged, which was really good, and I was really sort of privilege really to be asked um mm. to, to go along to that and it was nice to see people and I I suppose I had that I have that hopefully a little bit of humility about me and I I went in there thinking they're not gonna know who the heck I am <laughs> they're gonna well who's this bloke I don't remember him playing but it was lovely you know people like Rodney Rowe straight away how are you doing not seen you for a while unless he was just being polite and he's a good actor I don't know but <laughs> so yeah was, I mean I remember like Matt Hawking was a really nice lad he got to me I think I think it was in the later years because those players that then came after I was there, I guess that was a different relationship to players who were there when I joined the club, who I was. So I held them in higher esteem, I suppose. So when I joined in 95, you know, Paul Barnes, John McCarthy, you know, I was a bit cool, a little bit starstruck when I first joined the club. But then players that joined after me, they might have thought I'd been there for a long time, so it's kind of it, that. That was, I suppose, that mm. was a different feel about it. But um, Darren Edmondson was a good lad. I remember playing golf with Darren Edmondson. I remember having conversations on the phone with Peter Duffield when each time he broke his leg, <laughs> which you know was was three About times, three, four times. <laughs> yeah, I remember ringing him, and I remember him being really sort of chuffed that somebody had bothered to ring him. And yeah, I've not really thought of that before. I, 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 I wouldn't say there's anybody in particular, unless I've forgotten mm. anybody that that was any closer than any others. You know, seen Derek Bell recently. That was really nice. And he came back to the LNER. He's sort of still friends with him on social media and that kind of thing. So, yeah, not not close, close. The, I think, no. you know, players... Steve Tuck, I say Steve Tuck would probably be one because he lives near me and... Yeah, I, to be honest, you caught me out with that question. I hadn't really thought about Sorry. That. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I just, no, I just no, thought no. Because, because of the, you know, the, the, the amount of involvement you clearly had at, at yes. various levels of, yeah. of, you know, and various sort of different aspects of the club that... That yeah. you would a bit a bit like kind of um I guess Dan Simonite as a social media guy. Yeah. Neil Tolson we'll, we'll was another one. you know. Yeah, Neil Tolson was another one. I remember him giving us a lift, you know, down to the races or something after training one day or something like that. You know, he, he found out I was going down there, oh I'll take you and I mean he's over in the States now, sort of so I get the odd we we might might message on Facebook or something like that, but nothing. Mm. Most of them were were really decent guys. They used to come for a bit of a gossip in the shop. That was sometimes what they'd do afterwards. So when I first got to know them People like Tony Barris, Paul Stevenson, they would finish training if they came up to the ground, or maybe or maybe for treatment, maybe waiting for Jeff, and they'd come and you know I think they maybe found it a bit more of a comfortable atmosphere in the sort of shop and commercial area than they did down in the office and ticket office. So they would come up there and hide and have a chat. Then did any of them come to you when when things were falling apart with, with Bachelor and knowing that you would almost be a bit closer on the inside as to what was going on? I think there were always conversations. Yeah. Everybody in, in the same way though, just on an informal basis. It wouldn't be you know, it wouldn't be anything particularly that was arranged, but it would be in the offices, yeah, in the car park almost, you know, yeah. behind the bike sheds kind of conversation about what was going on. Yes, people did. People did. But I think the players around that time were very much led by Chris Brass. Right. That, you know, he was he was very kind of vocal and almost became a bit of a players' union type man, if you like, just to kind of mm. be a, a, a spokesperson. And I think probably what got him the manager's job in the end. Was it how difficult was it a decision to leave? Then I know you mentioned about obviously not getting paid, so that kind of yeah. uh, obviously uh, has a significant bearing. But was it was it a difficult decision, or in the end was it was it just kind of uh, a decision made for you? I think it was. I don't 
looking back now, you think, I've been there eight years and I loved it. So it must have been a difficult decision. But actually, at the time, I don't think it was. I think it Mm. just felt like it had to be done. I remember Keith Usher, when I spoke to him about it briefly before I actually did it officially, he just said, definitely the right thing to do. I remember his words were something like, it's time to go and get a proper job and earn some proper money. Yeah. And that's how he worked, you know. And we, we, we... We've got on. I think we had a mutual respect for each other in the end. But yeah, no. So I, I don't remember it being an especially difficult decision. And mm. I think I was ready to move away, almost get my love back of the team, yeah, the club in that sense. And and it had been a great eight years. I was in my twenties. I was like basically twenty one to twenty nine was kind of how it how it worked in terms of my age for, for for the time there. And it was like right, next chapter, move on. And it must have been weird getting a proper job. <laughs> as strange yeah. as it sounds because because obviously working in a football club and all those things you've talked about all the different things that you've done from the tannoys to the program that it, it obviously is mm-hmm. completely different to any other job that you would ever go go on to do i mean i've pretty much done the same thing since i mean i've done it for two different companies but only because one was kind of bought out um so i went off and, and basically sold it um and i only did that because there was a local company that i knew of people might know it who were in york wallace business services that have been around in york forever um, until they were bought out and I knew somebody there and I mean what was really nice was actually I remember when the club went into administration I remember two or three companies who were actually sponsors reached out and said if you're thinking of leaving we'd be interested in speaking to you and I did go and speak to a couple but decided it wasn't right so I then made my own way and I went to yeah I went to Wallace's and um, yeah stayed there for 17 years so I actually only left three years ago Right, but that was kind of because of a change and a takeover and everything. So, mm. so yeah, it allowed me to become a fan again. That's what I've done. And you have and crammed a lot of great games in as well since. And and just to sort of finish off, bringing it to a, a back to being a supporter, what would you say is? And it doesn't have to be when you work for the club. But what 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 is your favourite ever game you've been to with York? So out out the fifteen hundred that you've, you've been to, <laughs> it's not the most exciting answer, I don't think. But it's hard to look past the win at Old Trafford. I think, yeah, I mean, crew in the playoff final at Wembley was was great, but, you know, they were our level, technically. And, you know, I, I just think that win at Old Trafford was just absolutely bonkers. You know, you, you, you look back at the team, the whole setup of it beforehand, what people's expectations were. And, and yeah, I'd, I'd been at the club six months as well, so to suddenly then be a bit involved on a, in a very small way. Yeah, I think that's the way. And there's been loads of good games. I mean, you know, the Carlisle 4-3 or the, you know, some crazy away wins that I've really enjoyed. I remember going to Plymouth and we won 4-0 under Nigel Worthington. And that was a fantastic away day. And I mean, away days, I think, always stand out because obviously they're different. Home games, you know, there's hundreds of home games that kind of can merge into one if you're not careful. I mentioned Everton, the home game, absolutely tremendous. I mean, the various home wins against top of the league teams like Birmingham. I remember that being amazing. We beat Sunderland beat Middlesbrough. Each of those, I think, were top at the time or, or very close to the top. So they're all, they all stand out. But if, if I had to pick one, I would, I would go for the win at Old Trafford. And, uh, and favourite ever player that you've seen play for York? And obviously you, you started going in the year that Keith Walwin played, but, but Paul yeah. Barnes, McCarthy, you've seen a lot of good players, haven't you? Over yeah, the year? I think John McCarthy. And I think that also probably is helped by the fact I knew him a bit and he was just such a lovely bloke, um, yeah. as a lot of them were, don't get me wrong. You know, Andy Mack, really nice guy, and what a great player he was. You know, if I was doing an 11, Andy Mack's in it. In fact, a lot of the 93 team are in it. It's quite hard. Yeah, to... seven out of my 11 are from I think, 93, I think, 94. It, I think it's seven of mine as well, and even mm-hmm. though I've been going, you know, almost 10 years longer. Yeah, so John was just so exciting to watch and hardworking and just a humble bloke and I've got one of his shirts <laughs> yeah well James it's been great to great to hear these stories and I'm sure people will enjoy hearing them as well and many of them people won't know that you you know I think I think you're a figure that, that people certainly in the 90s people knew you were a commercial manager but probably didn't know the extent of what that that extended to so it's been great to sort of hear hear your insights thank you no I've really enjoyed it yeah, really enjoyed it. It's good fun. Thank you. And I, I, you know, I don't want to just say it, but I absolutely love listening to all the interviews with the players. We've done such a good job. It's uh, it's it's a it's a bit of a privilege to be on here talking to you myself. So thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot.
Massive thank you to James Richardson there for giving up his time and, and also being really patient. Obviously, we, we tried to put that episode together quite a long time ago now and uh, and it was nice to finally get a chance to record it. And I know James is a, is a huge fan of the podcast, so it must be pretty surreal for him going through subscriptions and, and finding an episode that he's actually on. So I hope he enjoys listening back to it. As, as do I hope the rest of the listeners certainly I think now it's the off season it's I just wanted to kind of put some York City content together because uh, I know people will be missing the football and, and hopefully uh, people have enjoyed that As ever, if, you, if you're willing to help the charity, it's uh, justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. Any donations are, are gratefully received. I think we, we made about £150 excluding sponsorship on the last series, which, which was a massive boost to us. I know times can be quite hard for, dif- for people and, and maybe finances are, are a bit tight. So if you think I'd like to help but, but maybe can't do financially, then please consider kind of writing us a review on Apple iTunes. That's really, really helpful to us. Uh, rating us on Spotify as well is, is, is really helpful and just generally spreading the words about the podcast also we, we've uh, got to the final again of the non-league bible awards for best podcast and best charity two categories which we're really grateful to be to be in essentially what i can gather is it's a bit of a popularity contest and uh, certainly with the best podcast category where we're up against three equivalents uh, from Wrexham so uh, whilst it'd be good next season they won't be able to uh, to be nominated uh, this season I might need a bit of help so if you're able to kind of go on to our Twitter bio or Facebook um, there should be links on there for you just to, just to click and nominate us which would be really really helpful and finally, I just want to dedicate this uh, episode to Michael Miles and Sue Clayton. I don't know if people are, are on Twitter, but recently they sold off all their sort of last remaining merchandise that they've been kind of working on over the years. You know, they've had a great collaboration, certainly with the centenary year and all that sort of stuff. And they um, donated all the, the kind of money they raised from it to your hospital radio, which was a just a, a fantastic gesture once again. I've got so much respect for both Michael and Sue, both incredibly talented people, but but also incredibly nice people as well. And, it, and it's great to have um, people like that in the York City community. And, and um, yeah, just, just a huge public thank you to them for, for sort of giving up their their proceeds really and all that hard work that they've done and, and passed it on to York Hospital Radio is gratefully received. We, we need around £8,000 a year to to kind of stay afloat and provide this service to, to people in your hospital and, and, and the sort of uh, money that, that Michael and Sue have raised, it, you know, goes a long way to helping us achieve that. So massive thank you to them. Massive thank you to you guys listening again and uh, hopefully we'll be back again with another special soon. Mm-hmm.